Coming up on today's show. I think share a sense of optimism for the upcoming season based on what we're seeing out there. You're going to see a lot of fall crops. Uh, the beans probably come out in the first two weeks of October. Because when he said you got stuck twice in a snowbank, I thought he was making another short joke and you were walking and got stuck. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it's it anyway. Fine. I knew you were going to go there. Let me close the entire hunting season. Oh, well, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Today's show is brought to you by Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Tazan Lake Lodge in northwest Saskatchewan. For trophy lake trout northern pike, go to tazanlake.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen, and I've always considered myself more of a waterfowl guy, but in the last couple of years, particularly, pheasant hunting is quickly becoming a close second. I've been lucky enough to live around some great habitat and even luckier to visit some areas with even better habitat, including trips to our neighbors to the west. While South Dakota is widely regarded as uh, maybe the best state in the United States for pheasant hunting, and and for good reason, there's lots of habitat, there's prime conditions, and a, a comprehensive approach to pheasant management based on positive economic benefits to uh, to the state from hunting tourism. And while Mother Nature can be the overall deciding factor in how how big a population can get and how well it can do, having that right management in place is important. Some changes could come to that plan. What are they? When could they take place? What do they mean? What are people saying about them? Well, we're going to welcome some stakeholders onto the show to talk about that right now. Uh, First, we have Jared Wickland, Public Relations Specialist for Pheasants Forever. Jared, how's it going? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Also, Casey Weitzmantel, Executive Director at the Aberdeen Convention and Visitors Bureau. Casey, how are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. And Eric Johansson from Johansson Farms in Tolstoy. Uh, Eric, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Brent. Good to be here. I'm glad I got the opportunity to visit with you guys a little bit. So we want to talk about pheasants in general and, and not just these changes, but I also want to get to how the season's going to look because I know I've talked to all of you before the show started and we all, I think, share a sense of optimism for the upcoming season based on what we're seeing out there uh, along the gravel roads and what we saw from last fall, what the weather has been like. So we'll we'll get to some forecasts of this season. But first, I want to kind of run through uh, what's being talked about, because this definitely has uh, generated some chatter among the upland hunters out there. And according to the Sioux Falls Argus leader, the proposed changes are meant to increase resident and non-resident participation in uh, South Dakota's pheasant hunting by 10% in three years. Potential changes include lengthening the season until late January, increasing the rooster limit to four, and extending the shooting hours during the first week. And I reached out to uh, South Dakota Game Fish and Parks for a little bit of clarification on some of these. When when these changes could take place, uh, are they season-long changes, et cetera? And we'll kind of walk through what they responded with. And Casey, I want to start with you because there is one other change that's not really part of this discussion. It, it, it sort of is, but it, hap- it, it happened before this discussion took place, I think. Uh, and, and I think it also directly relates to tourism, and that's the elimination of the brood survey. Uh, what was happening, I think, was that counts were, were down, and that seemed to maybe have a, a correlation to uh, fewer out-of-state hunters visiting the area or bringing about some negative attention to tourism as it relates to, to pheasant hunting in the season. Did you see that, Casey, the last couple of years? Yeah, we did. Uh, that's definitely something that you can see firsthand. Once those numbers come out, uh, your phones start ringing or emails start coming in, uh, whether it's positive or negative, uh, you see that interaction. Uh, with them doing away with the bird count, uh, I think is probably one of the best things that they've ever done. Um, I, I didn't really put a whole lot of faith in the bird count uh, myself personally. And a lot of the reason being when I myself finally get to take a few days off from work and get to uh, take the field or, or share the field with some buddies of mine, uh, we're talking mid to late season hunting anyways. Um, so 
when you finally get to get out in the field, we're talking mid-November, late November, all of December, we, we've never had a problem finding birds. You know, so when you have those bird numbers come out or those bird counts come out, you know, a lot of that survey being done is dependent on A, who's doing the survey and B, whether or not there were birds there when they when they did the survey. And, and a lot of it is, you know, my my interaction with with some people of, you know, you can ask me if there's cattle in the field. And if I look over to the right and I see cattle, well, obviously there is. You know, but those cattle might be on the backside of that hill or they might be down in that slough or might be around the backside of that shelter belt. And, you know, the brood count is what it is. It did give some uh, legitimacy to to long term numbers. Um, but, you know, a lot of that can change uh, with habitat, loss of habitat, increased habitat and weather conditions. So a lot of it changes season to season. And I just look at it as if you have habitat, you have birds. And Aberdeen is working hard to increase that habitat. And uh, I don't want numbers to work against our hard efforts here. Eric, you have pheasant hunters come visit your neck of the woods there from, from all over the world. Uh, what, what have you been hearing from hunters when it comes to that, that brood count? Uh, you know, when the brood count comes out, I'll sometimes get an email or a phone call or two. But uh, for the most part, for the guests that, that come and hunt our farm and ranch, it doesn't play a huge part. Um, they, you know, with us, with our farming and ranching practices, what we're doing on, on the production side and the wildlife habitat side, they kind of know um, that the habitat, we're going to, you know, work diligently to try to create it, to try to produce the birds. And aside from any major weather swings and events that there's going to be pretty good bird numbers, uh, wild bird numbers on our properties uh, on the farm and ranch. So it's not a, not a huge deal for us. Um, but it is something that I was kind of surprised that the commission decided to do or the Game Fish and Parks decided to do away with. Um, and I don't understand. I don't know all the numbers on the economics. I'm sure it was a cost-effective thing that uh, they were probably looking at. From a wildlife standpoint, it's something I like to see just because there's such a long history of it out there. And even though it might not have been maybe the most scientific survey ever done, and obviously conditions and, and weather and everything can really play a part on whether or not you're seeing the birds that are actually there, you know, when, the, when they're doing the count. But it was nice to see that because then you can, I always like taking a look at on their routes, you can take a look at previous years and then you can start correlating that with weather conditions. Did those weather conditions in those years have an effect on habitat? And did that effect on habitat thusly affect bird numbers? And almost every year you look at, you can go back and start putting those correlations together. Now, most people probably already know that, but it's just a set of data that um, the state already had. So I, I was a little surprised to see him do away with it. Um, I can kind of understand the economics possibly of it, but uh, to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed. It's something I kind of look forward to just because of the history of it. Um, but uh, sometimes change is good. Well, I know it can be depressing when you see numbers get go down, and and it's sometimes those counts. I, I know, uh, Jared, you maybe remember this a couple of years ago. We had this huge drumming count for rough grouse in Minnesota, and then the, everybody got excited and hit the woods, and they just didn't see as many grouse as they were expecting to see there. So sometimes, yep. uh, sometimes those you know numbers can be off or or whatever. But Eric, to your point, when you talk about having a data set that goes back uh, as many years as it did, it is kind of nice to be able to you are going to have some fluctuations and some pluses and minuses to factor in there, but it is nice to have that. And, you know, you can kind of see, still see some trends with it, but Jared, if, if you take away that brood ser survey, G Jared, I mean, what can they do over there to try to determine some population numbers? Yeah. So, I mean, from pheasants forever standpoint, we, we do value population indexes like, like brood counts and brood surveys. I mean, it's a, it's a good way. It's, it's not a measure of like the true population. It's a measure of the total abundance from one, from one year to the next. And I think like Eric pointed out and, and Casey as well, that, you know, there's, there's a margin of error there when it, um, you're looking at weather conditions, if it's dry outside, 
there's been a lot of hang going on. You know, a lot of times those those birds don't have to actually come out to the to the road to dry off in the morning. They're going to other places on top of hay bales, that type of thing. But you know, that said, um, South Dakota has does have a plan in place to to try to keep measuring those factors of the brood survey through. Uh, through ha- hunting harvest numbers, um, they're still going to be running their winter sex ratios, which we can talk about that in a little bit. Those the winter sex r- ratios of um, basically number of roosters per 100 hens is some of the highest they've been in the last 50 years right now, which points to the fact like there there's an overabundance of roosters there that's not not needed to maintain that population. Um, but you know, I think a lot of it too comes back to um, when you look at the brood surveys. They were they were basically comparing it against the the ten year average, and you know when what people when people look at that number and see um, you know a, a pretty deep dive, especially when we went from like the 2007 2008 years to 2017 2018 and it really dove off and the reason one of the reasons behind that um is due due to farm bill and crp acres i mean you look at um you you drop from 38 38 million acres to a to a new farm bill that's got 24 million um you you look at the amount of grass that was lost just not not just in south dakota but across the range as a whole um and you're your your pheasant numbers are going to go down anytime you take that much grass off the landscape and i i don't know if casey and eric have a number there i can't remember what it is but like for like a for like a let's say like a neighboring state like north dakota they went from three they went from three million acres and um you know that 2007 2008 was some of the highest harvest in south dakota and surrounding states they've ever seen and that's a direct correlation with CRP acres. And when that dropped from 38 million acres nationally down to 24 million, bird populations plummeted. And with that, these 10-year 10, 10 averages on, on brood surveys went with it as well. When you had some weather conditions there in the last few years, too, and, and different things. But, Jared, my favorite graphic that I think I've ever seen that directly correlates with what you're talking about right now, it's, it was a Pheasants Forever graphic that just showed the years of uh, high CRP acreage and the high harvest numbers and when the crp numbers went down the, the the bird numbers went down and i mean it's 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 an easy it's it's easy to see what the answer is if you want more birds you just have to have more habitat out there and when you talk about those uh brood counts eric and i i see the economics of it uh as well but to me it it, it was clearly marketing and south dakota knows what pheasant hunting means to that state and when you have the the negative um discussion when when the brood count numbers are down and uh, you know i i haven't seen numbers to see if it actually uh, directly led to fewer hunters coming or not but when people talk about it i can see and if they want to increase uh out-of-state hunters by 10 percent the next three years that seemed like a, a an easy thing to do and some of these other changes i want to get into and they even said i i asked them these pro- other proposed changes where did they come from and they clearly said it, it was marketing discussions it's uh the economic impact to the state is so important they wanted to uh, try to maximize pheasant hunting so some of these other changes would to be uh, to extend the shooting hours and the season dates for, and if this passes, this would be for this upcoming season. And let's just start with the first one because I think this is an easy one for all of us. And that would be uh, to start the season earlier during, is it the first week of the season when it, when it opens up at noon over there in South Dakota? Yep. And yep. So, yep. I, think, I think they're referring to the first week for, not, for non-residents, correct? For non-resident, not, okay. Not not just not just the not just the resident opener, but the the non-resident opener as well. And then would take that from noon and go to, to 10 a.m., which is a little bit earlier. And, and I don't think anybody really has an issue. When I, and when I talked to all three of you guys separately before this, all three of you brought up an important point in pheasant hunting early in the year, and that's temperatures relating uh, to dog work. And it'd be nice to to work a little bit earlier to keep your dogs a little bit cooler. So. Uh, I mean, do you guys have anything to say about changing that time from noon to 10? I think, um, oh, go, go ahead, Casey. Go ahead, Casey. I, I think the change from uh, noon to 10, re- really in, in our aspect, wouldn't affect a whole lot. Um, guys are still uh, getting ready to take the field, uh, organizing their equipment. Um, but the biggest thing, like you said, is the cool temperatures. I, I think that would probably be the biggest thing that would play into it. Uh, myself, having being a dog owner, um, running that dog in cool temperatures would definitely be a plus. 
Um, you know, it may interfere on that uh, economic impact of uh, the coffee shop and, and the, that extra cup of coffee you might have before you take the field. But I think all in all, it's understandable, you know, with North Dakota being a sunrise start right. uh, and right in our backyard, uh, 45 minutes away, them being a sunrise start, us switching to 10 o'clock uh, really wouldn't, uh, wouldn't change a whole lot on our end. I, I think it would be a positive. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know if we want to go down this road or not, Jared, but what do you think? Do you th- do you see a big difference between North Dakota starting at sunrise and, and uh, South Dakota starting later in the morning? I mean, I know South Dakota probably gets more pressure, but North Dakota gets a fair amount of hunting pressure too. Is there a, w- would there be a big, um, you know, problem with, I mean, whether they're worried that birds are going to be closer to roads? I mean, what's what's the big difference there? Um, and to me, and, and you know, I'll let Eric and, and Casey voice their opinion on this as well. But when you can hunt, I think it's half hour before daylight in North Dakota, isn't it? Um, Actually, I mean, I you're, you're right. Yeah, you're basically talking the 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 birds are almost still roosted at that point. So I think I think it makes it I think it makes it a bit easier in a state like that, like especially right away in the morning to locate birds because they're in they're they're still in the roost at that hour and and getting ready to to come out to go to fields and you can use that to your advantage um you know a 10 o'clock start point um from from our point of view from peasants forever um you know it's two hours earlier again you're protecting your dogs um you know in early uh early season uh, when all the corn is still up too it's it's allowing hunters a little extra time to try to get out there and try to try to locate birds um which you know we we obviously, we don't have any problems with it. Yeah. I, well, I like hunting. I, so I don't mind having to work a little <laughs> bit for the birds. And I don't mind sleeping in sometimes too, <laughs> just a little bit later. So I don't mind the, uh, I don't mind having not being out there right away at the, the, the crack of dawn. Uh, so the, uh, one of the other changes then for South Dakota, and they're going to meet September 2nd and 3rd via Zoom about these proposed changes. And there is uh, the availability to submit public comments through the website, the Game Fish and Parks website. I think that's available now. Comments can be submitted anytime. And uh, all the details can be found on the website. So you can add your opinions on this. And they're going to meet September 2nd and 3rd. And one of the other changes, guys, is extending the season. So right now, uh, what is it ends uh, what in the the first week of uh, January sometime around the beginning of January and they're talking about going to the end of January is that right? I think right now currently what is it end January fifth if I'm right? And yeah, then they would, yeah, they they would propose yeah, last, to the end of January. Yeah, the last few years um, it the season ends at first full Sunday after the full first full week in January. So they're just going to be extending it. The proposal is to extend it, uh, as my understanding, to the end of January, and it'll just end January 31st um, is what the proposal is. Um, Biologically, uh, shooting roosters until the end of January, it happens in a couple of other states, right? Maybe some warmer climate states right now. Is that right, Jared? Uh, Yep. Kansas, Kansas, Nebraska, I believe. Um, uh, those would be two states where you can hunt till hunt till the end of January. And I know a lot of folks that I know a lot of folks from here last year that uh, went down to those states to try to get in one last one last hunt with their dogs before they hang up uh, hang up the old bootstraps for the year. Well, before we get into you know the pros and cons of it, let's look at the the tourism and the marketing aspect of this because I'd assume that's why they're talking about it is because there probably are people going to Kansas and Nebraska to hunt a little bit late season. Uh, Casey, do you think this would be an opportunity to get a few more people to come to South Dakota, or do you think some of those those South Dakota January temperatures might might deter people and have them going south further south anyway? I, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. Um, if you've ever hunted in South Dakota uh, late season, you know, just wait five minutes and the weather will change. So, you know, th- there could be weather to deal with uh, on top of that. But uh, I, I see a little bit of both. I, I see extending the season and how that could be very attractive uh, to hunters or late season hunters or guys that are just like Jared said, uh, just not ready to, to uh, hang the boots up yet this year. Um, myself being a late season hunter, you know, looking at the middle of November, 
uh, through the whole month of December, extending that to through the end of January. Uh, I have mixed reviews on that. As an economic standpoint, yeah, it could bring more people to the area, could bring more people to South Dakota to take part in that. Um, but on the flip side of that, the people that are coming uh, are really not going to be your, your warm weather states. Uh, you know, it's not going to be your, your airline travel. Um, it's going to be the, the guys that will uh, maybe come in on the weekends and, and take part in that from the neighboring states. I see those as your primary target who would take advantage of something like that. As far as, uh, you know, you, you do guide some guys, Eric, at your place there, but you also take care of birds. You've created this wildlife uh, paradise or whatever, this habitat complex on your property. What about taking guys in mid to late January? What do you think that would do to your birds? And do you think there'd be a market for it there? Yeah, with extending the season, um, you know, there's going to be, those that say culling more roosters, harvesting more roosters later in the season um, or in the season in general uh, is going to be a good thing, right? Because the less roosters you have going into a harsh winter and in South Dakota, we have them. Um, you take a look at the last couple winters, it's been pretty rough. Um, but with the right habitat conditions, it, it isn't an issue most of the time. So anytime you're dealing with, you know, decreasing rooster numbers, you're going to decrease the competition that the hens have in a rough winter, especially when we're looking at the months of February and early March. That's when you're going to see the highest mortality from a tough winter. They're starting to run out of their, their body condition reserves at that time. So if we can reduce those rooster numbers, it reduces the competition for the hens, and we're going to have better hen survivability. So on that standpoint, harvesting more roosters seems like a good thing. But, you know, with anything, for example, on our farm, when we're talking about wildlife habitat, first and foremost is, you know, agriculture production, whether it's on, on the row crops or in the, on the cattle herd. The things we're doing, um, our, our focus is always on agricultural production. But a lot of the things we do is, okay, this will benefit agricultural production, but it's also going to benefit some habitat, wildlife habitat. And how does that affect? It's kind of a secondary cause and effect type deal that, uh, for example, bird numbers on our property can, can benefit from cover crops, from no-till farming, from, you know, leaving higher stubble in the fields to catch snow. It produces more cover. When you're extending the season, my concern is is um, to shoot more roosters later in the season, you're going to be applying pressure to birds. And you can't just go hunt roosters. You're going to have to push the hens too. So as we get later in the season, hunters are, you know, I don't think it's going to be a huge demand for it just because of the weather, but there are going to be some people that are going to want to take advantage of it because it extends your <laughs> Anytime you can extend opportunity, I think it's a great thing. But what's what could possibly be a, be an issue and my concern is if if hunters are out pushing birds that are congregated in this winter cover late in the winter when we have really tough winters bad snow conditions cold temps when normally they're not being pressured as much it's just going to decrease deteriorate their, their body condition spores faster now we may not be shooting hens obviously but just be just by getting bumped out of the cover and having that exposure and that pressure it's going to put stress on those birds. So my concern is, are we going to be able to carry as many hens in certain areas that have higher hunting pressure through the winter if we have hunting pressure later in the season when the weather's bad? Um, that's just something, you know, you kind of think of, and I'm definitely not a wildlife biologist by any means. I'm more of a barstool biologist, but it's something I see, you know, on our own farm. Um, and that's one of the reasons why when it comes to around mid-December, December 15th, we we very rarely uh, do any bird hunting, you know. So you actually vo kind of volunteer voluntarily shut your season down mid-December for the most part? Yep. Yeah. It's from weather conditions and the stress on the birds and stuff. I mean, I'll still have some friends and, and family. We'll kind of go out if the weather is nice. But if it's real mean um, and, and the weather isn't playing nice, which it oftentimes does at the end of December and early January, we, you know, we very seldom go out. Um, just not to push the birds out of the winter cover. 
Gosh, I, you know, that just reminds me of the story you told me on the phone yesterday. I don't know if you want to tell the story again, because you probably, all of us will, will, it'll be dusty in the, all of these rooms here real soon about uh, one last, it was Christmas Day, Hunt, was that right? Or right around Christmas, Eric, wasn't it? Or uh, uh, late season anyway? I believe so, yeah, yeah. And it was the last hunt for, for one of your pups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, when you're a bird hunter, you got dogs, right? Or most people do, and that's probably one of the main reasons we do it. I know it is for me, too. And and uh, uh, we were sharing that story with, with one of my uh, black lab males that passed away a few years ago who was having a little tough time um, with lung cancer and stuff that entire year. And, and I didn't hunt him at all, obviously. He was having a hard, hard time walking across the yard and catching his breath. And it was uh, right after Christmas, and and uh, had him at the farm there and running around the yard, and he was looking okay. So I thought, oh, what the heck? I heard some roosters cack- cackling, uh, you know, right off the mailbox. Basically, it's kind of a pleasure to have that when you live out in the country in South Dakota. And grabbed the shotgun as soon as he saw me with the shotgun. He, I mean, it was a completely different dog. He sprung to life. It was like he was a puppy again. Walked down, and and uh, I didn't think he was going to make it trudging through the snow, and but he, he did all right and uh, busted up a couple of roosters. I got lucky and hit one. And uh, he retrieved it and brought it back to me. And I just let him carry it all the way back up to the house. Um, and I didn't know if he was going to be able to. But uh, we stopped for a rest a couple times. And uh, not once did he drop that bird. He carried it all the way up to the farm. And it just, like I was telling you yesterday, it just shows the heart of these dogs and why it's it i mean it's just so fun hunting behind them and that's what brings me to just upland hunting in general is watching the dogs work uh, building that bond becoming a team together and and watching them succeed it's 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 wonderful you know we can talk about raising limits and extending seasons and doing everything you can to entice more hunters to come take part in activity but i'll tell you what the first time you pheasant hunt behind a good dog especially if it's your own dog. I mean, you, you can go out there and shoot holes in the sky, you know, and come home with an empty bag and have a great hunt, you know, just watching your dog work out there. I, I agree. It's it, to me, it's what it's all about. And, you know, we, had, we, we filmed an episode of Prairie Sportsman out your place a few years back and had a great time out there. And then uh, I think the year after that, we filmed for the governor's, one of the governor's hunts here in Minnesota. And uh, we hunted on some property, and the landowner there hunted with us, and he, he had a number of dogs. Well, he brought one dog out after the hunt. <clears throat> it was 17 years old. I couldn't believe it. And uh, it was about a week after that, he sent me a text message. He said, well, I got Emma out for one last hunt, and she pointed a rooster, and I shot a rooster over, and she brought it back. And then I think I think she died the next day or, or something like that right after that. So it was... Uh, that's one of those things, man. It just rips your heart apart, you know. And and uh, but what a what a great way for a for a gun dog to to finish it out, you know. You always talk about that one last retrieve, and man, I don't know. That's what it's all about. And I'll tell you what, I had a pretty good season last year, and my dog is getting older. And every time I see her, like the the last day of the season last year, she made this huge retrieve that, you know, I, I won't do it. I'll tell everybody it was the greatest retrieve in the world and everybody's got their own story about their dog like that. But it was one that made me proud. And every time I see that, I wonder if it's going to be the last one. She's, she's on her 10th season here now and I got a new puppy coming. So you, you have to wonder uh, just a little bit, but I got a new puppy coming, but it's not going to be ready for this season. So I'm hoping my lab Mika can, can tough it out. I'm going to have to take a little bit easier on her this year, but I, guys, I think I think it's going to be unbelievable this fall out there. I I would agree with you, Brett. Uh, just everything that I'm hearing from the the lodges and outfitters like Eric uh, and just myself, you know, trying to get the boat out this summer and and take the lake. Uh, the gravel roads you're seeing, you're seeing uh, hens and roosters. You're seeing little chicks already. Um, we did some traveling up north, uh, north, north of Brown County last night and just you have to stop, literally stop your car and let them cross the road. I mean, uh, to see those numbers already, uh, it, it's good to see it and it's a promising sign, you know, and, and I will uh, take part in the conversation that, you know, Eric and yourself with the dogs, you know, you, you can talk about these regulations, uh, the, the new start time. 
the extending the season, the, uh, the, the bag limits. But you know what? When you ask hunters why they hunt, they don't ever say, I, don't, I, I like to hunt because I can, shoot a, I can shoot a fourth rooster or I like to hunt because I get to, to start two hours early. They all say they like to hunt because they like to watch the dog work or they like to get a youngster out in the field. Uh, my stepdaughter shot her first rooster at Eric's place uh, last year, and she, 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 she's the, the advocate for federal premium ammunition. She loves to shoot <laughs> holes in the sky, loves it, and she's not afraid to pull the trigger. And she finally brought down, and I'll share the photos with you later, she finally brought down her first rooster with one hour left in the season she she hit one and brought it down and my 15 year old wire hair was on that uh that bird like like a matter of seconds and it landed in an area of, of some sorghum that was probably about the size of a basketball court you know and i'm like literally there's no way this bird is getting away i mean i'm standing guard over top of where this little sorghum patch is <laughs> eric's yelling at me because i left my post because birds are raining over top of where i was but I had to get that bird and, you know, and he's literally chewing me out. Then behind the scenes, he's like, I would have done, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> but we, we literally went to that bird in, in this sorghum patch and, and Eric's dog for, for a pointing dog at, at Eric's place, there's just too much scent. My dog's was there. There's just too much scent and too much cover. But Eric's dog went in there and busted this little patch of cover. And uh, he come out with this bird and you could see, my stepdaughter going from tears of joy hitting this bird to tears of sorrow because the bird got away to tears of joy because Eric's dog finds this bird to tears of sorrow to find out that this bird's been dead for three days and it's frozen <laughs> rock hard to tears of joy when his dog goes back in and finds this bird that was hiding underneath the dead bird. What? Literally two birds stacked on top of each other. What? And then the tears of joy of her holding up this, the first rooster ever that she's ever shot, you know, and, and to, to cool. have all this lay out into the last hour of pheasant season. It's that's why people hunt. They don't hunt because of a, a 10 o'clock start or, or a late season extension or a four bird limit. They hunt for the highs and lows. They hunt for the enjoyment of the dogs. They live their life through the youngsters hunting. And, and that's really all you can ask for. And it's and it's amazing. It it's yeah that 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 time, Casey, was probably a highlight of my year uh, when when I was talking to you and you said your daughter was busting all all long all season long and still hadn't gotten a bird and we had that last weekend. I said, "Well, come on out and and uh, birds were grouped up. We got her in front of a bunch of them and she knocked one down and." It's always uh, it's always good to be blessed with a good bird dog. I I got a couple. I probably don't deserve them. Um, they've taught me more than I can teach them. But uh, that day was was uh, a lot of fun, and and it sure made me smile. Yep, absolutely. A, a good dog will make you a better hunter, <laughs> or at least make <laughs> you look like a better hunter <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, and you do it you do it for all of those things, and you do it for the chance to walk around in nature and see other wildlife and uh, and have those stories. And I got to I got to tell one more quick story after hearing that one because we were uh, taking a new hunter out. She was an adult, but she had never pheasant hunted before. And we were at my buddy's place a couple years ago. And we were walking through some grass and I think it was three or four of us and one or two dogs. And all of a sudden she got all excited and started screaming. I, was, I looked over, I'm like, yeah, what is it? She's like, there's a, there's a, there's a rooster in front of me. It was on the ground. And I was like, well, all right, well, the dogs are clear. It's clear. It's her first bird. I'm like, and, and she was waiting for it to fly. She's like, it won't fly. It won't fly. And finally, I'm like, just, just shoot it. Okay. You've never shot a pheasant. Just shoot it. it it's a safe shot. You're good. Okay, I shot it. She pulls the trigger. She shots it. She's all excited. She's jumping up and down. So we're all, you know, hooting and hollering in the field. So we all gather up and go and find this bird. And <laughs> it was frozen on the ground and had been dead for a couple of days. <laughs> so, so technically, she still shot her first pheasant. But... Uh, <laughs> It, it may have been dead when she shot it already. So anyway, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's fun sharing those experiences with people out there and um, getting, getting back to this season though, I, 
you know, Jared, you and I talked last fall at the end of the season. I probably had you on the radio show, I'm guessing. And the last week of the season, there were there were birds, so many birds here in western Minnesota. And we hunted one field and, and for like two or three through two or three days, we drove by this bean field and there was a small slough in the middle of it. And there were there must have been 100, at least 100 pheasants. And I hadn't seen a field like that around here. Uh, for a number of years, and and you could go uh, a mile or two the other direction and find another field loaded up with pheasants like that. And you know, as you and I talked, you said that that's not exactly a good sign. I mean, it's good to see all those birds. It's not actually a great sign to see them all grouped up like that. Uh, it's generally mean they're they're getting pushed out of cover, the weather, et cetera. They're trying to find food. But we we went into this one field and it was just four or five of us, and we surrounded that little slough. And guys, it was like hunting South Dakota. That's what we all kept saying afterwards. It was like we were in South Dakota. It, it was unbelievable. So, so I'm trying to temper my optimism a little bit for this fall. But I, I think it's going to be good uh, here in Minnesota. Obviously, I think South Dakota is going to be unbelievable. Uh, Jared, what are you hearing about, about other, other regions when it comes to numbers for this year? Well, just to just to rewind and kind of recap what you just pointed out is I think one of the one of the big issues Upland Hunters had last year was the amount of water on the landscape. And I I know Eric and Casey can both attest to this as well. But um, it was a hard year for farmers. Um, it was a hard year for hunters to try to get places because I, I was really worried about the birds going into to early winter. We had a lot of we had a lot of snow that packed early on some of it melted um but then none of these none of these froze uh none of these sloughs were frozen so i i had just hundreds of stories from upland hunters where they're they're falling through and have to go back to the truck and they're done for the day um you done know, for the day come on yeah. you put on dry socks everything's head everything's back out. insulated underneath yeah bring it bring a new pair of boots and get back out there buddy um it uh it but you know going into going into march and going into april man the weather really cooperated um it was just from all accounts from everywhere and i I talked on the on a podcast on hunter's happy hour about this last night i mean everywhere from north dakota to minnesota to south dakota over to montana down into iowa um the the early nesting season was spectacular and and talking with uh south dakota specifically um a lot of our precision agriculture specialists and state coordinator and um other folks is that they're seeing a lot of birds that maybe not full grown yet but get i mean getting close to it and that's a really great indication um that the first the first nesting attempts were extremely successful big big broods not only in their size but numerous as well um in numbers so um you know everywhere we're just we're healing hearing really positive things across the range as a whole and you know one of the things i mentioned last night is you know you look at what's happened with covid this year and um you know more people are at home they are more people are maybe figuring out they want to learn how to harvest their own food right so there's a lot more fishing license being sold a lot more turkey hunting license being sold and i'd be willing to bet that pheasant licenses are going to go up as well now you know, the fact that it, it takes a, a global pandemic to try to get more people into the field, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But, um, you know, for, for folks, whether you're a veteran getting out with your bird dog this year or maybe you're a novice hunter trying it for the first time, I think, folks, if you're going to get out this year, this fall, um, you picked a really good time to do so based on the reports that I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, Jared, I'm sorry we don't have uh, as much uh, beer or cigars as you probably had on the Hunter's Happy Hour last night, but we could get I'm sure we could find some around here. We probably have some. But um, yeah, like when you talk about COVID, I'm curious to see what's going to happen too. And I, I know for waterfowl hunters, I think North Dakota is going to be a zoo this fall because nobody can go up to uh, Saskatchewan or Manitoba to do some waterfowl hunting. I think a lot of people are going to be be hitting up North Dakota or you're just going to see a lot of lot more waterfowl hunting around the area. And I know pheasant hunters don't travel into Canada necessarily for, for pheasant hunting. But Casey, what are you hearing? You know, what do you think the, the COVID uh, effect is going to have? On your pheasant season, on hotel stays, on tourism to your area this fall? Um, right now, we're not hearing anything different. Um, you know, if you talk about social distancing, pheasant hunting is the best option for you. Right. Um, if you're within that six-foot distance, you're hunting too close to your buddy. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, from what we're hearing from the guides and the outfitters and the hotels is it's business as usual. 
And actually what we're hearing from a lot of the guides is they're already full. Oh, really? So looking at, uh, you know, is there space available? You know, like we always preach, you know, come out a little later in the season because the crop should be out of the fields. It's cooler for the dogs and a lot less pressure. Um, And hotel rooms are possibly a little cheaper as well. But, you know, from what we're seeing, it's business as usual. Um, We're starting to see some events pick up in Aberdeen, South Dakota. We're starting to see some events happen. Uh, We're starting to see some rebound in the hotels. Uh, The hotels are still down. Their occupancy is still down, uh, but we're starting to see a strong rebound. And everybody's hanging their hat, no pun intended, but everybody's hanging their hat on this fall and hoping that this will help uh, rebound the restaurants, the hotels, the outfitters, the the, uh, airline traffic. Everybody's looking for a strong season, you know, and, and the birds are doing their part. It's just up to the clients or the hunters, you know, at what, what comfort level do they have? You know, if, if they're, if they're looking to travel, if they're looking to take the field, like I said, pheasant hunting in South Dakota, especially around the Aberdeen area, you couldn't ask for better social, social distancing. So we're, we're excited. We're, we're positive. And, uh, you know, I think this is something that'll eventually get behind us. And like Jared said, you know, you look at uh, our RV and our camping traffic this year alone is through the roof. Um, you know, if you're looking at uh, wanting to purchase an RV, you know, wait a couple of years. These people will soon find out they don't like to camp as much as they thought they did. But everybody's looking to get into the outdoors, you know, and uh, how can they do that? Whether it's RV camping or whether it's whether it's fishing. Or, or pheasant hunting this fall, I think we're looking for a strong experience. Well, I, I interviewed some guys from Saskatchewan last week here on this show, and one of them is a is a owner owner of a boat manufacturing company, Illumarine, but he also owns a, an RV and outdoor recreation shop. And he said the boat manufacturing was down because a lot of his boat businesses to uh, outfitters up in northern Saskatchewan primarily, and obviously they were all pretty much closed this year, so he didn't sell the boats he thought he was going to, but he said his retail was through the roof, like his retail boat sales and four-wheelers and side-by-sides. Everybody was out doing stuff outdoors and uh, buying all that stuff, so it was kind of an interesting dynamic. It was interesting to see what people did, and you talk about South Dakota, and I'm not going to get into politics here or anything, but I I don't know if you're just going to have a lot of pheasant hunters, non-resident pheasant hunters this fall, or if you're going to have a lot of new resident pheasant hunters this fall. I'm just, <laughs> you might have a lot of people moving to your state here uh, here pretty soon. And uh, Eric, when it comes to your business, what are you hearing from, from people? Have you had any cancellations because of the coronavirus or how's it been for you? No, no. We, we, I, so far, um, everybody is uh, itching to get out and uh, hit the fields and, and see some wide open spaces and, and chase some birds around. Um, we've had no cancellations. I don't expect any, uh, at this point, obviously you never know what's going to happen, but, uh, matter of fact, uh, like it has been in the last number of years is, um, this time of year is when I start getting a lot of emails and phone calls, um, about people wanting to see if they can get in and, and hunt with us. And so the demand is there. I think there's a lot of people, uh, tired of all the bad news and what 2020 is bringing us and they're looking for some good news and the good news is from what i've seen uh checking pastures rotating cattle um scouting fields uh just driving around the countryside um i've been seeing more birds this year than i have probably in the last four or five years um the conditions were great um we're we're wet but we started drying up this year but we're still getting good rainfalls um, you know, in our part of the state, um, habitat conditions are awesome. And uh, the weather really cooperated in the month of June and July and, and just seeing a lot of birds, uh, a lot of birds. I can't, very seldom do I go scout a field, uh, a crop field, and not see at least one or two broods um, getting up on the edge of fields, running across the section line. So uh, it looks good for this fall. Time will tell, but uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it's going to be some of the better bird numbers uh, the state has seen, obviously it's going to vary from region to region, but I think overall um, it's going to be a pretty good bird year for the state. And as far as a farm, you know, farming goes, I know a lot of our farmers here in Western Minnesota have been 
pretty happy so far with this year. I know they got in early. They were able to uh, plant in a lot of areas. It, it dried out quite a bit for us this spring over here. They were able to plant in a lot of areas that they haven't been able to plant in for a number of years. Uh, how does harvest look for you? Do you think you're going to be on time? And uh, how do you think, it'll, as far as uh, pheasant hunting season, how do you think the timing will go? Well, you know, in our area, um, I know the guys way in the eastern part of the state in western Minnesota, they got in earlier. They had a little nicer spring. We were so incredibly wet last year, last fall, and even in the early spring. So our planning was delayed a little bit, not near as bad as 2019. Um, and we have started drying up a little bit. Um, but uh, the crops are a little behind, but we've gotten the heat units. Um, we've got enough rainfall to make them work. So they're catching up pretty good as far as maturity. Um, I think you're going to see probably, it's hard to tell. We never know what the weather is going to do, but I don't think it's going to be a super late harvest this year, but it's not going to be an early one either. I think you're going to see a lot of fall crops. Uh, the beans probably come out in the first two weeks of October, like they traditionally do. And then hopefully guys can get some dry corn out of the fields starting that mid-October. But uh, I expect most of the corn in our area at least to be coming out November, mid-November. <clears throat> but if we get a warm, dry fall, um, that can change things in a hurry. You just uh, kind of see what the weather throws at us and uh, take it from there. Have you ever harvested all your corn twice in the same year before? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I haven't done that yet, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot yet that you had to get out this spring, didn't you? Yeah, our, uh, most of our 2019 corn crop was harvested in 2020, uh, uh, probably about 80% of it. With our extraordinarily wet year last year, we had some hail damage on some corn, which set it back. Um, fields were crazy wet, and then... Uh, couldn't hardly get into the fields, let alone get the corn out. And the corn itself was wet. And then we had that big snowstorm um, right around Thanksgiving. And it actually insulated the ground. So you could move the snow, but you'd still get stuck. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of it stayed in the field uh, in our area all winter long. It wasn't just us. It was everybody clear up into North Dakota, uh, which is a good thing for the birds. I mean, you talk about deer and, and pheasants having a pretty pretty good winter even though we had some interesting storms uh man was there cover for him and uh, i don't think we hardly had any death loss um one of the very few years i've gone out and i don't think i saw one dead deer carcass when we started spring work so um and that that relates to just having all that cover out there that they could get in out of, out of the weather and obviously abundant food source when you got all that corn standing during the winter um so yeah, it's uh, this year's looking a lot better than last year. Um, conditions are great, seeing more birds than I've personally seen probably in the last four or five years. So fingers crossed. I'm anticipating that hunters are going to be pretty satisfied with what they find this fall. Oh, I'm excited, and Jared, he kind of nailed, you know, hit the nail on the head right there when it comes to. Uh uh, helping birds get through some tough weather, helping wildlife in general. And that's just having the right kind of habitat and having some cover out there. And that's obviously one of, one of your mantras at, at Pheasants Forever. And this, ha this has had to have been a, a tough year uh, for an organization that kind of relies on memberships and fundraising. Um, how, how have you guys had to deal with COVID over there? You know, I, th I think we're in the same... Uh, I think we're in the same position as just about every business organization, farmer, rancher, American that's out there and that COVID COVID has set us back. Um, it, it was a hard pill to swallow uh, when we've got, you know, about 70, 80 percent of our banquets that occur in the springtime between March, April and May. Uh, we had to cancel over two, 200 banquets this year that accounted for 20,000 members. Wow. And we know anytime we do that, looking at renewal rates where, you know, our a lot of people understand that Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, our sister organization, are are different than some of those other groups where just the memberships come back to us and the local chapters hold on to the fundraising. So, you know, Casey mentioned uh, earlier a lot of the great gatherings that are going on and different things in, in South Dakota. And there's a chapter uh, right in Aberdeen where where Eric and Casey live that, you know, works with works with these hotels and, and other 
places uh, in the region that benefit from pheasant hunters. Um, they're writing checks to habitat programs for us, and we're helping landowners put habitat on the ground and, and open it up to public hunting. So it's it's sort of all a, a revolving door. But um, you know, we lost we lost twenty thousand members uh, here because of those those banquets that happened. Um, we've basically uh, our our budget was set back enormously for the year. Uh, we're still doing a lot of great things. We just completed a. 950-acre Cupido Wildlife Management Area acquisition in western Minnesota, which covers the Prairie Chicken Range, quite a few pheasants there. Um, Gary Clancy, who I think you you probably knew, um, that that passed away a couple years ago. Uh, we've got a great dedication for his property finally coming up here uh, this coming week, I believe on the 19th. Um, we just did another one uh, last week, some really big acquisitions and things going on. But during it all, um, I think a, a lot of Upland hunters and a lot of our supporters have stepped up. We've had some some great donations come in. Uh, we held an online fundraiser, our first one that raised over just just over sixty thousand dollars. Um, and we're, we're going to need that cause we're going into, uh, we've planned for, we've planned for no banquets this fall. And I think maybe 20% in the spring cause no, nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. Um, and it's, it's a big, uh, it's a big mystery as to where this is going to go. And, you know, as a, as a guy whose wife works in an emergency room, uh, uh, you know, uh, works in the ER here and they've got a respiratory side, um, you know, pe- people are worried about where this might go. But as for right now, it seems like South Dakota is doing well with it. Uh, we've got Pheasant Fest green lighted right now uh, for February. Obviously, things can change with the way COVID might go and whatnot. But uh, we're weathering the storm um, for people that haven't been to a banquet or uh, maybe got postponed. I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll join us in, in uh renewing your membership online. We've got a great membership premium that we're going to announce coming here next week. Uh, and, uh, you know, mother nature hasn't slowed down and neither can we, we're, we're working through things to, to make the most of it for, for habitat and the birds and the seasons that we all, uh, we all cherish coming up here. Well, gentlemen, I, I, I appreciate the time here. I wish you all well. I'm glad, uh, that you guys are all, uh, healthy and safe and things are going well for you guys over there. And, uh, Jared, I encourage everybody to become a member of Pheasants Forever uh, Casey, I encourage everybody to go pheasant hunting around the Aberdeen area, of course, or out at uh, Johansson Farms out there. And 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 Eric, the work that you do on your property out there, you should write a book or or something. I know we we filmed an, a TV episode of Prairie Sportsman. You can you can see that on YouTube and learn a little bit more about the property. You're doing good work out there. Uh, so guys, uh, last question for everybody: What do you think about the actual? passage of these proposed changes in South Dakota. Y'all think it's, it's probably all these things are probably going to happen. Gut feeling. Um, I, I would, I would say they're, they're going to move. I would say they're going to move forward with it. Um, you know, trying to, trying to get more hunters out there. Um, you know, we talked about just about all of them. And, uh, I I would just say as, you know, the biggest one from, for, from our side is probably the, the extending the season and just what Eric talked about. I think if people use sound ethics when pursuing pheasants, like there's, there's not many, most of the hunting happens in the, uh, 80% of it happens in the first month and a half of the season. Anyways, maybe an uptick at Thanksgiving and uptick right at the end of the year. Um, but you know, most people aren't going around, uh, driving through South Dakota in a blizzard, you shouldn't be. I mean, you're, you're putting your life at risk by, by doing that. And I think the, the guys that live there would attest to that. But um, there's some there's some good things happening. And like we said, if, if people are looking to get into pheasant hunting or taking a trip this year, you picked a damn good year to do it because all signs are pointing to uh, a pretty healthy population of pheasants in the, in the pheasant capital of the world. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, all three of the proposals that they got uh, on the board right now are, are basically kind of built around um, opportunity, you know, in, increasing season and increasing some shooting times. And anytime you can increase op- opportunity to get in the field, I think it's a good thing. Um, like I said before, I do have concerns on, on the extending the season um, and increasing, you know, in 2021, increasing that vague limit late in the season because Basically, what that's going to do is it's going to encourage more pressure on the birds late in the season, going into a bad winter. So I have concerns on what that might do for the health of the existing bird population, especially the hens getting through that winter. 
pheasants are a renewable resource. We got to get our hens through the winter. We got to set them up right in the spring, healthy body condition, good cover um, to raise that next crop. Um, but, you know, the, the game fishing parks, they, they know what they're doing. I trust in them. Uh, I think we got good yes, people sir. on the commission. And, you know, as long as they're, they're paying attention to, you know, the resource, the wildlife resource first um, on these proposals, um, and keeping that in mind, I think they're going to make the right decision. Did you have something to add, Casey? Or uh... Yeah. No, I, I would agree uh, with all the sentiments uh, from Eric and, and Jared. Um, as Jared knows, you know, the, the weather and winter conditions in Aberdeen and surrounding areas can get pretty brutal. I know Jared's been stuck in a snowbank, too, uh, back in the day. And, twice uh, you in, know, twice Eric, in the same day, Twice in the same day, Casey. I, I couldn't let that one go. I'm sorry. I had to. I had to get it in there. Not you know, my and, and I, <laughs> You know, and, and I and I trust Eric uh, when when you know when, when he's talking about stressing the birds and the bird conditions. I I guess that 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 is uh, a big concern, and and that does weigh heavy on my heart as well. Um, you know, any time that you overly stress, uh, you know, the the hens along with the roosters. I mean, you, you're asking for a little bit of. A little bit of trouble, a little bit of gray area, but uh, I think if people use some uh, self-restraint and uh, and some precautions, you know, I, I think people can maybe uh, get past that. Uh, you know, stressing out the hands obviously is an added added risk uh, in that scenario. On an econ- on an economic standpoint, you know, anytime you can increase visitors to the area, bringing in outside dollars is is great for any community, not just Aberdeen, uh, South Dakota's old, but any community. You know, because when those dollars come into the community, they multiply or they roll over three to seven times. You know, so when you have less visitors to an area, that's less that's less eggs that are scrambled in, in the morning. That's less hotel rooms that are made. That's less steaks that are that are grilled in the evening. But, um, you know, I think if people use some some discretion uh, in that, uh, I, I think you can see a win win on both sides of that scenario. I'd uh this is Jared with one last comment. I, I, I can't let it go because when I, in defense of my snowbank vehicle twice in the same day, when I rented that vehicle, I told them specifically I needed a four-wheel drive vehicle, and I'll be damned if that four-wheel drive did not work once I got out to, once I got out to the field. Well, I'm glad you clarified that, Jared, because when he said you got stuck twice in a snowbank, I thought he was making another short joke and you were walking and got stuck. (laughs) There's that, there's that too, but I I feel good about what happened because it was a hell of a bill from the towing company to get me out of those two. So there you go, contributing to the uh, local economy in other ways. Well, uh, gentlemen, I'm looking forward to this fall. I know the last time the four of us uh, were were in close proximity in person, we were we were on a hunting trip there in South Dakota. We need to make that happen again, and uh, hopefully we can do that this fall because I think it's going to be an epic year. And uh, good luck, good luck to you guys, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank, Thank you. you. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. As we all navigate through the tough times of 2020, finding new ways to enjoy summer has become a way of life. If you're searching for the perfect getaway this summer, look no further than the walleye capital of the world, Lake of the Woods. Fish the Rainy River, Big Traverse Bay, and don't forget you can still experience the uniqueness of the Northwest Angle. For your best chance to catch big fish, go where the big fish are, Lake of the Woods. Plan your trip at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 
If Trophy Lake Trout and Monster Northern Pike are on your list this summer, book a trip to Tazan Lake Lodge in northwestern Saskatchewan. Everything from numbers to big fish. See pictures, videos, and more at tazanlake.com. This is quite the fishery. Our five-star chef will feed you well after a day of chasing giants on Tazan Lake. Dream come true. Get rates, dates, and more of what you can expect. It can be the best fish you ever had in your life. At tazanlake.com. That's tazanlake.com. Tazan Lake Lodge is a proud partner of Tourism Saskatchewan. Hunt, fish, conserve, repeat. That's the mission here at Sporting Journal Radio, and if you love the outdoors as much as we do, show it off with new wildlife-themed gear from the Sporting Journal Radio store. From hoodies to hats, coffee mugs, wildlife prints, and you can even make your phone stand out with a new case sporting some high-quality wildlife photography. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com and click on Store. We have a huge selection of gear with new items being added every week. Powered by Shopify, which is trusted by over 1 million businesses and offering a variety of ways to pay, including PayPal. Shop now at SportingJournalRadio.com.